Good morning. It's good to see you all. It's been a while, a couple of weeks. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Mom. Um, <laughs> went through family camp. I, I had a good time. And I'm glad it's out of my wife's system for at least hopefully a few years. I really enjoyed the time with the people, but camping, as I've shared before, is not my cup of tea. I think it's funny that we do everything we can to make camping like home. We have a home. (laughs) They have hotels. (laughs) You go to nature and then you go back to the hotel. That's makes sense to me, progress, these things. But actually, I had a great time, and it was fun. Uh, staying in the tent wasn't that bad. We didn't have TV, but we had Heaven staying with us, and so she was entertainment enough. <laughs> She's not here this morning, so I can talk to her. She's in the, with the kids. Um, but it was a great time, so we really enjoyed that time. It's good to be back here. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series. I did an introduction. We're calling it Identity Crisis, and it's who on earth are we supposed to be? In the next five weeks, what I'm going to be doing is is giving the foundations of who we are at Genesis as a community. I I want you to know this community and, and what we're about. A few weeks ago, someone came up to me, and they said a friend asked them, what Genesis was like. And he said, I told him we were like this. And I kind of winced and he goes, is that not right? And I said, well, not exactly. We're a little different. And he's like, well, what's the difference? What are we? And so hopefully in the next five weeks, we will be able to spell out the differences if there are any, not that there have to be. And I just really most importantly want there to be clarity for you to understand what we're about. Hopefully I my desire is that you will be on board and moving with us. But if, again, this isn't your cup of tea and you say, you know what, that's not what I'm about, that's fine also. Get out of here, see if we care. No, (laughs) just joking. But I want us to have an understanding of what it is. And the first kind of foundational column, if you will, pillar of what we're about is that mission is why the church exists. This is going to be something we're going to talk about today, and I think it's something that is very important. And as we're going through this, I'm going to do something a little differently. I'm actually giving you opportunity to ask questions. I'm going to try and end this quick enough so that if you do have questions regarding what we talk about today, you can text them to this number here. Can everyone read that? Okay. If you can't, don't know what to tell you. I can read 8419028. This is texting regarding what the subject is. You can't just text me, you know, why are you so ugly, you know. I'll have your number, so I'll find out. Or, you know, three in this afternoon, text me, can you come pick me up? I'm la- <laughs> this is, has to do with our topic here today, okay? But I do want to answer what questions might come up from our, our talks here. And so as we're looking and moving forward, you know, I, I've talked about this in the past, that church is not something 
that we go to, it's who we are. We don't go to church, we are the church. And mission is why the church exists. Now, a metaphor that's been used is in the past is kind of evangelism. Evangelism is such a harsh word. I don't know about you what comes up when I say evangelism. If, if you think of crusades, if you think of going door to door, street witnessing, um, it, it's a word that brings kind of terror to some people's heart. I want you to be involved with evangelism. It's like, oh, no, I don't do that kind of a thing. And if you're not a person of faith, it might be a little fearful also. Oh, no, evangelism. That's where they're going to come and, and make me convert or something like that. And, and so another metaphor that might be something a little bit easier is that of wind. And I, I'm going to explain why that's a metaphor that we can kind of embrace if you'll turn with me to John chapter 20. John 20, starting at verse 21. And as we begin, this is after the resurrection. Christ has shown himself alive. Things have changed. Thursday night, we're going through the book of Matthew, and we're just about done, and we were in chapter 27 this past Thursday, and, and as Christ was crucified there on the cross, when he, he gave up his spirit, John records that he said it was finished, and when he gave up his spirit, it says that the veil in the temple was torn. That place that was an entrance into the holiest of holies. The Hebrew mind knew that this was where the high priest could go once a year to represent the nation. It represented the very presence of God. And when Jesus died, that veil, that curtain between that holiest place was torn. And we talked about what that meant. And we've always had this idea of what it means is now we have access into that place. And even Hebrews says that we can approach with confidence. Thursday, we talked about something else. Not only can we enter in, but when that veil was ripped, what really happened was the holiness of God was let out. And it was let out through the people who could now have this relationship with God. And in chapter 20, verse 21, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are are not forgiven. And so we see Jesus alive again, comes to the disciples, tells them peace. And then he says, I'm sending you. And then we have this unusual thing where he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. The word receive is a completed tense. It was accomplished then. 
There was something that took place there. They received the Spirit of God, which is why Christ had to die, to bring in this new covenant where we could have this access into the holiest of holies, that the holy God could have access into us and to our lives. And so Jesus changes everything right now and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And here we get this idea of the wind as he, he breathes on them. In the New Testament, the word is pneuma. It's used for spirit. It's used for breath. It's used for wind. And here's one instance of the risen Christ giving this instruction to his followers as he, he sends them. And the idea of sins being forgiven is the idea that you now have the ministry that I had. I came, I died, and I'm able now to forgive sin. You can assure people of what I've done. And what he's doing is connecting the disciples to his work that was accomplished on the cross. And he's sending them out. Go over to Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission, starting with verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so here again is the great commission. Jesus is alive. He appears to his disciples and he gives them this instruction. And it's so curious to me as he, he tells them that all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. And then he tells them, so go. Again, this is where I ask, well, aren't you going to? I mean, you're the one who has all the authority in heaven and on earth. Why don't you go? But you see, Jesus just said, as we read in John, that that authority is now ours. And the reason he says go is because now they represent him. And so as he tells them to go and make disciples of all nations, there is this idea of you need to be moving. There needs to be movement. This faith that you have, it's not just something you think. It's not just something you believe. It is something you live. And so Jesus sends them. He tells them to go, make disciples, it's a command. It's not a suggestion. Hey, if you feel like going, go. If not, it's okay, kick back. This is what they're supposed to do. You know, I can tell more about what a person does and the direction of their life by the things they're doing by what they than by what they tell me they believe or what they know. If I'm talking to someone who's been involved with drugs and he's got some seriously bad habits, some addictions... 
And I talk to that person and they could tell me, you know, I know God wants me to be clean and I know he's given me the power and I know he's given me the strength and I know this is the wrong thing to do. He can tell me all those things, but I look at the pattern of his life and I can tell the direction that he's heading. Well, you're still hanging out with these people or you're still involved with this. You're still lying. You're still showing this deception. I know where you're going by what you're doing. Or if I'm talking to a couple, a husband and wife, that are having some marital difficulties, they could know the scriptures. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband loves your wife as Christ loved the church. They can know all the scripture, but I will ask them, what do you want in your marriage? And if I hear something like, well, I just want her to leave me alone. I don't know why you guys find that funny. (laughs) Or if she says something to the effect, well, I just want him to change. I don't like who he is. I can tell just by what they're wanting where this relationship is going. It's not about what they know, what they say they believe. It's about where their lives are pointed. Movement means a lot. And if we are not moving, if we're not going, if we're not being sent, it's telling. Water that doesn't flow becomes stagnant. A follower of Christ that doesn't go becomes complacent. And so the instruction to go It's important. It's giving us an understanding of what God wants for us, his followers, the church. And this is what we've been called to do. Turn to one more passage, Acts chapter 1. We talked about this one a few weeks ago. Starting at verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift of my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set in his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. John, he sends them. Matthew tells us to go. Jesus, once again, right before he ascends to heaven, says, you will be my witnesses. My witnesses, what does that mean? I I think we have this idea or concept, at least I know I have for so long, that the idea of a witness is much like a newscaster that tells about what happened. You know, like eyewitness news. And so the idea of witness is I'm like a newscaster and I'm reporting the events that happen. 
And so when Jesus says, you will be my witnesses, is he telling us that we're supposed to just recount what happened? Are we newscasters? A lot of movement in Jerusalem here. The year is AD 33. Da, 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 da. Stormwatch. It's drizzling outside. I know, but it can rain. Are we just supposed to talk about the event? Is witness just someone who reports what happened? Because I think a lot of us think that that's the case. A witness is someone who's just going to tell about that or at a scene of a crime, an accident. Yeah, I saw this and I saw that and these are the things that happened. But if that's the case, why does Jesus say, wait in Jerusalem? What about the Spirit empowering us is going to help us to be better story accounters? What's the Holy Spirit going to give to them? Ah, oh, I got great illum- I got the inside story now on what happened. Is it just to give us more information? Is he going to give us five points on how to witness? No. He was to give them power to live lives that are a witness. You see, when Jesus said, I'm sending you, you now have the authority that I have, the sins that you forgive will be forgiven. In other words, connecting the the person to me. Go make disciples. A disciple is a learner. Get people to connect to God. Make these disciples of all nations. I'm sending you out to be my witnesses. You are now living lives that are my example. You are the proof of God to the world. And you need God's help to do that. That's why the Spirit has to come and empower us. It's not just so that we can tell the story. It's so that we can live the story that our lives now become a part of the story. And that's what the book of Acts is, is an account of God at work in those who were his followers. That is the church. And the book of Acts is a book on mission. It's telling how these few changed the world. How did they do that? They were sent. They went and made disciples. They were witnesses. They took the message of Christ and sent it out to those around them. As I was thinking about these things and that person who asked me, are we like these people or am I like this church? Is Genesis like this? And and one of the things that came to my mind of, of what do I see that I feel is important about us as Genesis? And I was speaking at a conference a year ago and a good friend of mine from another church was speaking. And as he got up and spoke at this conference, he said that his job as a pastor was to teach people the word of God that that was his role, that if he gave, if he went through a study and didn't teach people the word of God, that he failed. And he went on and he said that a few times. And as he was saying that, I was just kind of thinking, and I, I had to think, I don't agree with that. And here's what I mean. 
I believe that my job is to connect people to the mission of God, to make disciples. And we use the scripture to do that. My focus isn't just teaching information about the Bible. My focus needs to be connecting people to the God who is alive. And the scriptures give us understanding about that God clarity so that we can be doctrinally right on. Understand this, and and this is really important, and this is why the whole foundational thing that we're doing here, I, I want to make these things clear. The early church began by an oral tradition. People spoke about these things. They told each other. They didn't have the writings that we have at the beginning. It took time, and not all the churches had all the writings. And so the message of God was transferred by people speaking, people living. And I think it's real important that we recognize that and we understand that. Because I think a lot of us think that we need to be reporters, but really what we're trying to do is live lives that are reporting by how we live. I'm not just giving information to someone about who God is, what Jesus has done. I'm showing them by how I'm living my life. Now, this takes the idea of mission away from you got to go across the sea somewhere or you have to go across the border or you have to go in some urban poor place. You are on mission. Your life is that of a missionary. And yeah, it's great to go different places as you have a desire to, but you already are on mission. If you are a follower of Christ, it is who we are. Or at least it's who we're supposed to be. That there is the life of God dwelling within us by his Holy Spirit that is evidence of who he is and what he does. That's what the early church had and that's what changed the world. And we need to understand that we are part of that. That God has given us his spirit for just that. Their lives were now part of a much bigger story. They had an understanding that this is who they now are. And that's why it's important, and I've made this distinction before, and I think, again, with what I just said, it needs to be clarified. When, say, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between soul and spirit, bone and marrow, and the thoughts and intents of a person's heart. What is the writer of Hebrews talking about when he says the word of God? Many of us will take, well, no, it's talking about the Bible, but remember, the, the Bible as we know it, the scriptures weren't in their hands at that time. So what is he talking about? He is talking about the message of Jesus Christ, the person of Christ, the good news that is now a part of our lives, the hope of glory in you. That's the word of God. It's alive. It's powerful. 
you will be my witnesses. I'm sending you. And this is what makes the church powerful is because the life of God is in it, not a program. We're going to teach you guys how to witness. You are a witness. You're either a good one or a bad one, but you are a witness. What kind of witness are we? How are we presenting ourselves? The person of Jesus, how is he seen? Is he seen in our lives, in our conduct? Do we recognize that our life is much bigger now because of him? Or are we satisfied with that small thing that we do? And we are content to live in that space. God is calling us to more. When I was nine years old, I was in Little League. And at nine years old, I think it was nine, I don't remember. It was around nine. I was in a minor league, little league team. Now the majors, those kids who were like 12, they got full uniforms. They got a jersey. And back then they had like a 50-50 shirt that went under the jersey. You guys, any of you remember that? They had this jersey that actually had buttons back in the day. They had the pants. And they actually had real stirrup socks, not the ones with the painted stripe down the side. These were the ones that you actually put on, I know, it was back in the olden days. So that was the majors. In the minors, they gave you a t-shirt with the team's name on it and a hat, okay? You're in the minors here, you'll be happy with this, you know? And so I was in the minors, I was on the Braves. I remember I had a blue shirt and it said Braves across and I had a hat with a B on it for Braves. I'd say, that's not the Braves logo. Hey, it's a B, it's the Braves. It's okay, that's what it is. And, and I remember being on the minor team, and then one day, the majors were playing, but one of the player, or one of the teams didn't have enough players because they were sick or whatnot. And so a manager from the majors came down, and they talked to my manager and said, we need another player. We're short one. And so he picked me. He said, Sam, you want to go play in the majors? I was like, Yeah. I want to go play in the majors. I was excited. And so here I went, and I stood out for all the wrong reasons, right? I stood out because I was half the size of all the other guys. Okay, no commas. Some things never change, I know. And so I was there half the size of these guys. Everyone else had these nice uniforms. I had a T-shirt that said Braves on it. I was the smallest guy. I, was stand I stood out like a sore thumb. And I sat on the bench most of the game, except for the three out, or six outs and one at bat. That's what you have to get in the Little League. And I don't remember what I did at bat, so I probably did nothing. Otherwise, I would have remembered. But then I remember they sent us out in the field, and I went out in center field. Don't know why he sent me in center field, but he sent me out to center field. And I was there in center field just kind of looking around. Wow, this is... A little guy out there in the middle of the field, and then sure enough, someone hits the ball, fly ball to center field. Oh my gosh. My heart stops. It's coming. Oh, everyone's looking at me. What am I going to do? And I went over there and I caught it. And I was like, Yeah, you started to clap. <laughs> so I was doing this, like, of course, since, you know, when you're there, you're, yeah, it's cool. And inside, I'm all, Yeah! got the ball, made the out, and then the manager was all, great job, everyone was all, wow, he caught it, you know, because if you guys have been to Little League, you know that doesn't always happen, you know, and so I caught it, and this, 
I, it's one of these memories that stays there because I actually contributed to something at the time that was bigger than me. I was in the majors. 12-year-old majors, you know what I'm saying. Hey, it's all I got, okay? <laughs> I was in the majors. I made a difference. And you see, what Christ is doing is he's calling us into a life that's much bigger than you. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong with them being fishermen and them going out and fishing and bringing in food enough to feed their family and maybe a little bit more to sell in the market to have money. There's nothing wrong with that kind of a living. But it's very small. And God is calling them to live much bigger. In fact, Jesus tells them, I want you to change the world. These fishermen. Wait for me in Jerusalem. I need to empower you. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. Go, make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them about all the things, whatever I've done. He told that to fishermen, and he's telling that to us. The commission is the same. We are being sent. We are to go. We are to be witnesses the example and proof of God. You know, and maybe you're doing nothing wrong. Like the fisherman, it's nothing wrong. You're an electrician, you're whatever it is. You're not doing anything wrong, but you're just not doing anything. And sometimes we think, well, if I'm not doing anything wrong, I'm okay. But you see, mission is why the church exists. When God begins to open your world, he opens your heart towards people. He opens your mind and how you, you see things. And what he's doing is he's opening our soul so that even like the Good Samaritan, we, we begin to, to see in others the things that other people would pass over. There's someone in need. I need to take care of that. Why did you see that? Well, because I have the heart of God now beating in me. I used to have a heart of stone. I've been given a heart of flesh. This is that new covenant. The, the veil has been torn and the Spirit of God has invaded my life. And my world used to be like this, but it's much bigger now. I find myself caring about things I could care less about before. I find myself thinking about things differently. I find myself moved differently. And God wants me to be an expression of who he is to those around me. That's why he's given us his spirit. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. 
Paul writes and he says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. That verse there should make you stop and think. We don't have time to go into it. Paul is making up in his flesh what is lacking regarding Christ's affliction. We, those are what the scriptures we just kind of read over. Okay, let's keep going. That one should make you stop and go, what's he talking about? I hope you stop and ask that question. And don't text it to me because I'm not going to answer that one. You're going to have to find that one out yourself. Verse 25. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God. Now think what the word of God means and what Paul is saying. I have come, I'm to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them God has shown, or has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. I have become its servant by the commission God has given to me, to bring the fullness of the word of God, this message of Jesus, this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What potential is Paul seeing in these people? What potential is there in you and in me? the potential of Christ. I know that's alarming. That frightens us. But that's what this is all about. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That you are to represent Jesus to the world. You are to be his witnesses. Not just tell about him. Live like him. Testify of what he has done to change who you are. And that's what he's doing here. What he's calling us to do. Have you ever had a difficult time seeing something that's there? This happens with me all the time with like my keys or my shoes, my wallet. I'll ask my wife, have you seen my shoes? And she'll say, it's in the closet. So I go in the closet and I look and they're not there. But this has happened to me a lot, so I know I better look again. And so I go back and I look and I'll even look at different angles, you know, kind of, maybe I'm just not seeing it. Maybe, you know, she's a little shorter than I, maybe at her angle, they're more visible and I'll go back and I'll start actually moving things. I know I should have done that in the first time, but I start doing that again. I start moving and I look and I go, I can't find my shoes. She goes, they're in the closet. I go, I've looked in the closet. They're not there. She walks in the closet, picks them up and comes out with them. <laughs> right? 
She's a magician. I'm telling you, it's, it's the dark arts. She's got something going on here. And, and she does that with someone. I'm looking for that shirt. You know that shirt that I want to use for whatever? I, it's not in the closet. No, it's there. I'm, I go through every one. I go through every one. And I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm looking. And I, it's not there. And I'm getting mad because I've looked, and you keep telling me to look. It's like, no, it's not there. I don't have time. I got to go. And she walks in the closet and just pulls it out. And it's like amazing. It's like it was there all along, but I just couldn't see it. It was invisible to me. And it happens with car keys. It happens with shoes. It happens with clothes. It happens with everything. I'll go in the car. Yeah, I know I had that gift certificate. I don't know where it's at. I lost it. Well, it's in the car. No, I looked in the car. I looked under the seat. I opened the glove compartment. I never opened the glove compartment, but I did. It's not there. She goes in. She pulls it out. It was right there on the console. It wasn't there. (laughs) She's messing with my mind. We live in a world that believes that God is missing or can't be found. And there are people who are looking and just cannot see him it doesn't matter where they look he is just invisible to them and we've given the opportunity to come and say here he is he's right here and we can point them to who Jesus is because he's given us that commission that responsibility Mission is why the church exists. We are not here to have potlucks, but we're going to have potlucks. Don't worry. I saw, the, <laughs> the, I saw the panic overtake some of you. But that's not why we're here. We're not here to have Bible studies. We're going to have them. It's important to us as who we are as a community. We are here to go and make disciples of all nations. We are here because we are sent. We are here to be witnesses in Upland, San Bernardino, California, and the rest of the world. We have this mission, and it is one of the cores that is going to drive us as a community. Did I get any text? I didn't get any text messages. Okay, then. I guess that was clear. I am going to offer that option throughout our series, so if you do have questions, even next week, um, with things I said, I, I welcome those questions so I can try and answer those things that we talk about. Let's pray. Father, as we look at who we are as a community and what our foundation is, the pillars of, that shape who we are, Lord, they don't only shape us as a community. I believe they are to shape us as individuals. When you spoke to the disciples, you were speaking to each of them personally. You speak to us personally. 
as you have given us the scriptures, as you've inspired them and they're profitable for doctrine, correction, reproof, that we might be fully equipped in every good work. And God, you have given us your spirit that he would dwell in us, that he would empower us, that you would enable us to be witnesses. You've changed the essence of who we are. We're not just better people. We're different because of you, because of what you've done. And Lord, I, I feel that there are many who have been changed but they're still the caterpillar in the cocoon. They know about you. They have the information, but they're afraid to get out and to become that butterfly. They're afraid to change and what it's going to mean. And, and they're happy to just stay in that small world to remain a fisherman instead of someone who will have an impact in the ages to come. That seems too overwhelming. Lord, you've called all of us to make a difference in the majors. You've asked all of us to step into this life that you've given us. Lord, you didn't just send pastors or church leaders. You send all of us. And Lord, help us to understand we don't go to church, we are the church. And mission is why we exist. And so if there is a, a gap between who we are and who we need to be, I pray that we would close that gap, that we would push aside our fears, that we would take our place on the field And allow you to empower us to be what we cannot be without you. Witnesses. Lord, may we not lack anything that would enable us to move forward. May we not come short in anything that is available if we would but step out and trust you and live for you. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name.